How's everybody doing this morning? Hopefully you had a great weekend. <clears throat> I had a pretty decent weekend myself, although yesterday uh, was was a tired kind of day for me, and uh, I didn't get as many things maybe as done as I could have, but uh, I've been running uh, running pretty hard, so <clears throat> and not running enough physically, but just in terms of busyness, so to have a little bit more of a... Uh, quieter day uh, was not a bad thing yesterday. Sometimes we, our bodies are saying, hey, take a little extra rest. And uh, I didn't really rest much, but I, I didn't do all the various projects that maybe I would have done over my weekend. Uh, anyway, but hopefully you had a good weekend. And uh, today we are in 1 Corinthians. Uh, we're picking up at verse 10, chapter 1, verse 10. And uh, <clears throat> Glad to have you joining us everywhere from northwestern Pennsylvania, Cambridge Springs, Edinburgh area, uh, all the way down to Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, on across to Reedville, Virginia, back up to Rhode Island, and then here in Maine, or anywhere else in the world you might be uh, listening from, whether it's live or uh, Memorex later on. Uh, Just glad to have you joining in with us as we look at God's Word together. Grab that cup of coffee. I'm going to grab my cup and just take one more little sip. You take a sip. Yeah, I know. Some of you that are looking, saying, what is up with a Pittsburgh Steelers coffee mug? They were herocious 
yesterday. I didn't watch the game. I checked in a few times. Just not so good, but that's all right. Uh, you stick with your team, right? <clears throat> First Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10 it says, I appeal to you, brethren and sistren, uh, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly united in mind and heart. I'm sorry, mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. Uh, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ should be empty of its power. Now, we will pick up on this power theme here. Uh, perhaps a little bit later, if I get that far, uh, we'll see how far we get. I think it's a pretty tall order that Paul gives here in uh, verse 10. Do you not think the same? Uh, it says that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and there to be no divisions among you. Wow, that that's a pretty tall order. I mean, there are so many things over which we can be divided. Uh, in fact, I think it's probably worse in our day than it was in Paul's day because we have so many options in our day. We have options of pews or chairs. We have options of green or mauve. We have options of psalter singing or contemporary uh, music. We have all these different options, and sometimes it creates even greater division among us, they didn't have all these options back in the first century, uh, and so we have many things, uh, curriculum choices. What version of the Bible are we going to use? All kinds of things like that that will divide God's people. But the challenge that Paul gives here to them, men and women alike, uh, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you agree with one another in what you say, and there be no divisions among you. That's a tall order. Then when you look at what he says, I mean, it really he really drills down on it here at the end of verse 10. He says, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Wow. What a tall order is that? I mean, is that even a possibility that, that they would be and that we would be perfectly united? And here's the thing. I think we need to make uh, make it an effort. We tend to think it doesn't matter. Well, wait a minute. Jesus, and I looked at this last week, Jesus in John 17, the great high priestly prayer of Christ, he prayed that his people would be one. Here's Paul saying the same thing, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, be perfectly united in mind and thought. Uh, it's a tall order. It's something that we need to pursue. It's something we need to work after. Uh, it's something that we need to work toward. It's something that uh, we need to let, uh, lay ourselves, lie ourselves down, if I want to be uh, correct, perhaps, uh, for the sake of the unity of the body. 
and, and we'd ask ourselves, what are the things that, that we may be um, uh, allowed to get in the way? What are the things that in our own lives we allow to trip us up? That's some of the question that we may have. Uh, what about you? Is there something in the body of Christ in your life uh, that uh, keeps you from being united? What are some of the issues? And I, I've already outlined some of the issues here. You look at it again in verse 10, being perfectly united in mind and thought. I've already mentioned a few. Music is one of the things that gets in the way. Uh the appearance of facility gets in the way. The type of dress gets in the way. Um, social media, to use it or not use it, can get in the way. Length of service, length of sermon can get in the way. All kinds of things of this nature. What about you? What in your life, when you think of your church, would cause you to be one who is not perfectly united in mind and thought with those in your church family. This is a tall, tall, tall order. He goes on and says, verse 11, My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, inform me that there are quarrels among you. And this is what uh, the quarrels about. It's about who do they follow? Who's their pastor? What church is their church? And he concludes in verse 13, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? In our own day, he, he, we go back at verse 12, he says, One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Well, in, in our own day, uh, let's take this to Bangor. Well, I follow Jerry. I follow Ken. I follow Kirk. Those are names of three of the larger churches in Bangor. Well, I go to the Rock Church. Well, I go to Cross Point Church. Uh, well, I go to Calvert Chapel with gravelly voice Ken Graves, you know. And do you not find sometimes we take a, a, perhaps an improper amount of pride in our church, and where we go. Uh, and, and that makes us special somehow that we go to somebody's church and that we sit under the teaching of, you know, someone who who has the, the, the look uh, and the feel of Kirk Winters and uh, what they are at the Rock Church. Or, you know, you just like to tell it like it is, Ken Graves type approach. Or, or you know, you, you like the... the to follow a guy like Jerry Mick, who's been a pastor or involved in the ministry of Cross Point Church for 40 years. I mean, you, we like those things, and we, we will pride ourselves in those types of things. Now, we can bring it here locally. Well, well I follow I follow Greg. Uh, we don't have that many. Or, or I follow Garrett. Or I follow Jacob. Um, you could put those names in there, or you could put the name, well, I, I go to Christ the King, and you know we do the right type of music because we do the Psalter. And, and I don't actually hear that coming from their people. I really, really don't hear that coming from their people. Um, or, you know, we, we go to um, Calvary Chapel where it, it's, you know, verse by verse. Friends, verse by verse can actually get you into trouble. You need to go concept by concept. Um uh, and I, I love all these churches, all of them, 
you know, and, and I pray for each of them and I consider each of their pastors, my friends, but sometimes we who were a part of the church, uh, we, we get ourselves in the way and, uh, we, we take an, 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 uh, an ordinate amount of pride in who we follow, who we listen to in, in what church we attend and really what it needs to be is Christ. And, 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 Paul goes on and says this in verse 13, is Christ divided? And you could put any preacher's name in there. Uh, I wasn't crucified for you. Jacob wasn't crucified for you. Greg wasn't crucified for you. Ken wasn't crucified for you. Kirk wasn't crucified for you. We weren't baptized in their name. Our, our, our boasting should be in Christ. And Paul goes on and says he didn't baptize anybody except a few uh, and then he says, uh, you know, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel down in verse 17. And I, I might take some issue with Paul uh, because the baptism is part of the Great Commission that we read in Matthew chapter 28. So I might say, well, Paul, you are supposed to baptize. And, and maybe he had others in his entourage, say, hey, take those guys that just trusted in Christ, go down to the river and get them baptized. I mean, that, that might be exactly what Paul did. He continued to preach, others baptized, and it's just like uh, at Fairhaven. I'll use Fairhaven as an example. Why call the big guns in like Greg or Jim or Jacob or somebody to come in and baptize the uh, kids or, or staff that have responded to Christ why not have counselors baptize kids? Why not extend it down? And that I, I believe that is probably what the Apostle Paul did. And he had others of his entourage who were baptizing people. Verse 17, he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the, Christ, the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Now, we're going to get into the power here in a moment. And he says, not with wisdom and eloquence. Sometimes we, we want to make it sound so fantastic. Now, I am not an anti-Spurgeon guy, nor am I necessarily a pro-Spurgeon guy. Spurgeon was called the prince of preachers. And yet, you know, when you think of what, what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 1.17, I did not speak with wisdom and eloquence. You know, I didn't say things to impress people. I mean, Paul was a pretty common writer. Uh, when you read all that he wrote, he was pretty much tell it like it is type of guy. And and uh, foremost of theologians, perhaps probably none greater than the Apostle Paul. And he says, I didn't use a bunch of flowery speech. I didn't use poems. I, you know, I, I didn't use all these phenomenal illustrations, although nothing wrong with it. Jesus used illustrations all the time. Jesus used illustrations. But what he did bring is he brought the gospel, the pure, simple, unadulterated gospel to people. And that is what we should be bringing as well, the gospel. Now, let's go further here. Verse 18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Now, now I use this as kind of a theme verse one time. Uh, in one of the ministries that they had, because you know what? To the world around us, the gospel is foolishness. And notice what it says. The gospel is foolishness to those who 
are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. There, there are people out there who will say, you, you foolish Christians, you believe what? Why? How come? It's foolishness to them. Uh, but notice what it says. They are perishing. They will stand before God and, and will be told, you're not welcome here. Where we, because of our faith in the message of the cross, will be welcomed. We're being saved through what we recognize as the power of God. It's not the power of our morality. It's the power of Christ's sacrifice that brings us salvation. It is not us going, look how righteous I am or how much I attend church or, you know, I've done all these acts of service or fill in the blank. It's simply the power of God. And Paul continues, he says, for it's written, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. And God does this. I mean, you you look at some of the philosophers of our day and how God uh, frustrates their intelligence. Sometimes they'll come out and they'll say, well, you know, what we know from science is, and yet you come down the road in... uh, 20 years and realized that their science was faulty. Uh, Even uh, Darwin and his birds uh, from the Galapagos, his theory was found faulty. Now, he stated the theory. Everyone clamored around the theory about the birds of the Galapagos and, and how they had evolved, and yet... Later, science would would, uh, destroy that wisdom, would destroy that theory, uh, and prove it to be an invalid conclusion. God does these things. He destroys the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of intelligence. He frustrates, and he says, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Where's the wise person? Where's the teacher of the law? Where's the philosopher of the age? Now, now he's not against, Paul's not against wisdom. He's not against the law. He's not even against uh, philosophy necessarily, although he will say over in Colossians chapter 2 to not get sucked into the philosophy of this age. I, I get asked the question, why would your Bible college teach philosophy? We teach philosophy because we want our students to understand the thinking and and how we've arrived at the thinking of our day. What's been the development of philosophical thought and how does that impact the way people think today so that we can bring a theological response to the philosophical conclusions? Philosophy. We all have a philosophy. We have philosophies about money. We have philosophies about time. Uh, We have philosophies about food and exercise. We have philosophies about work and relaxation. It's it's all a philosophy. But yet God takes the wisdom of this age. God even takes the wisdom of the teachers of the law and and all the fine-sounding arguments that they give, and, and he makes it all foolishness. Verse 20, he says this, Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, we're so smart. We reject God. God is not, 
God is not alive. He is dead. In fact, the concept of God is dead, they would, they would go on and say. And yet, what does God do? God takes all of that wisdom and makes it foolish. Again, back to verse 20, uh, 21. For since the wisdom of God, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Our message is foolishness. There are people who say that gospel that you preach, it's just, it's just hideous. You know, why are we worried about morality? I mean, that would be the message of our day. I mean, live, let live. Uh, let each person choose. Well, okay, let each person choose, but there still is right and wrong, even if we do allow each person to choose. Verse 22 says the Jews demand a sign and the Greeks look for wisdom. The Jews wanted signs that God is real and that God is at work, and the Greeks were looking for the wisdom. He says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, the message of Christ is power. The message of Christ is wisdom. Now, he will go on and say these things. Verse 25, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. In fact, we could state it this way. God, you, you could take all the wisdom of all mankind who've ever lived, and it still won't even equate to the foolishness of God. Verse 25 again says, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. So you can take, what if there were any foolishness in God whatsoever, all of man's wisdom combined throughout all time still will not even equal the foolishness of God. And it says the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. You could take all the human strength combined ever, uh, in all the uh, mechanizations of mankind, uh, tanks and uh, atomic bombs and all those things, and none of it uh, equals the weakness of God. God's weakness is greater than all of man's strength. God's foolishness is greater than all man's wisdom. All of it. So he says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. And oftentimes God will call the, the unwise and the weak. He says, not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. You know, it's, it's just like evangelism. And I've heard this for years. And, and, and I understand the the strategic thought behind it. If we could just get such and such a person to believe Christ, think of the influence they would have. Some famous person, some famous politician, some famous athlete, some famous uh, movie star or musician, someone, you know, if we could just get, uh, I just dropped her name, Barbie. I want to say Twyla Paris. That's not who it is shame on me. I just dropped her. If we could just get them, that person, that famous movie, she's blonde and young and plays a guitar and is wildly popular. Uh, I can't think of her name. Anyway, um, I was just looking at her name this morning uh, because there was a little news thing about her uh, and the football player from the Chiefs. Uh, anyway, 
God chooses oftentimes to not work through things like that or people like those, but God sometimes will pick somebody who is uh, uh, in the shadows. God will pick somebody who really doesn't have much to impress uh, the world with. Uh, God will pick somebody who's not famous and will do incredibly amazing things through that individual. Verse 27 says that God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It's really bothering me. I can't think of the name of that. Uh, Taylor Swift. Thank you, Walter Huss. That's who I'm talking about. Taylor Swift. I think Twyla Paris. I don't know why Twyla Paris, Taylor Swift, but uh, yes, that's the person. You know, oh, if we could just see Tyler Swift come to Christ, then, you know, and she would start singing for Christ. People would probably just tune her out because probably she'd actually wear clothes then. Um, but anyway, uh, God will cho- choose the lowly things. God chose the lowly things of the world, the despised things, the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one can boast before him. He goes on and says, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. It's not because we are so wonderful. It's because he drew us to himself. Christ, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, he is our righteousness. He is our holiness. He is our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It isn't that the Lord drew you because he thought, oh, that person, they're such a, they're going to be such a wonderful Christian. Or they're such a pretty good person anyway. I'm just going to make them a Christian. It's truly amazing how the Lord will take, how the Lord will take uh, something that just is so quiet, so meek, even sometimes so backwards, and do absolutely incredible things uh, through them. Our boasting needs to be in the Lord. It isn't our righteousness. It isn't our holiness. We have not redeemed ourselves. He has redeemed us. He has made us holy in his holiness. He has imputed to us his righteousness. So let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Don't boast thinking, well, I'm such a good Christian. Don't boast because you go to such and such a church. Don't boast because you listen to such and such a, a radio a preacher. Don't boast. Boast in Christ. Boast in Christ alone. Think about the foolishness of your own life. Think about the weakness of your own life. Think about the sinfulness of your own life and think, marvel. I I marvel that Christ would choose me. Let our boasting be in Christ and in Christ alone. Now, here is a, yes, and, and Priscilla says, or the most broken. Absolutely. God will take that which has been most broken and, and oftentimes put it together and do something absolutely beautiful through it. Something beautiful, something good. All my confusion, he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife, but he made something beautiful out of my life. And that's what God does through us. Test question here at the end of the broadcast. Who is Taylor Swift purportedly dating? 
the name of the uh, tight end who plays for the Kansas City Chiefs. That's the that's the question of the morning. I can't remember that either, and I should. Anyway, friends, may we boast in Christ. May we boast in all that he has done to us. Travis Kelsey's the name. Walter Huss, we have to live our life out of gratitude. Absolutely right. Don is the one that came up with the correct answer. Don wins the prize today. Um. For that prize, and Walter also wins a prize because he came up with what my brain could not come up with. We live out of gratitude. We live out of boasting in Christ. So today, may our boasting, may any boasting that we have, be all about Jesus. Lord, help us to not boast in ourselves, in our worth, but in the greatness of Christ today, and to make Him known in Christ's name. Amen. Have a great day, everyone. I'll see you tomorrow.